Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place for you to experience a grace that heals. We're glad you're here because we're excited about how grace can transform your life and your relationships. Stay tuned. So, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joel. And I'm Lynn. And today we're going to talk about, can you give something you don't have yourself? Kind of hard. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? Yeah. Um, all right. I'll start off with a story. Um, we like doing stories, Good. right? So, yeah. Um, so my, my family and I um, are going to this train station. There's a place not far from our home where you can pay and you can ride like old steam trains and stuff. And a couple of our kids at the time, they were all younger, probably 13, 14 and under. And so we'd go and you'd pay and you'd get on the train and ride and come back to the gift store. Um, and while we're there waiting to ride the train, we're just kind of standing around and we watch that there's this younger guy. He's probably maybe early mid-teens. He's dressed like an engineer. And as he's walking along the tracks, he kind of stops and he like lays down beside one of the tracks and is like facing like underneath the train. And we're thinking, oh, I wonder if this is the delay because um, this guy, and we wonder what he's looking at. And we look at him and, and we go on and I look back and he hasn't moved. He's still like laying there looking under the tracks. I'm thinking, it's kind of odd, you know, that he would be there that long, you know, he's not. And then the more I watched him, I realized he's not moving at all and his face is away from me and so then you know the father the father in me um, starts becoming a little bit concerned and so I say to my wife um, he hasn't moved in a while I think I need to go over there and about that time if I remember right somebody else um, came walking over and I got to him and I said hey are you okay and I touched his shoulder and he didn't move and so I rolled him over and he's just out. And I look and there's not a pulse. It looks like he stopped breathing. And at that point, how yeah, old did you say? He was probably about 13 or 14 oh, years wow. old. He was just, he was a young kid. I mean, he yeah. was like my kid's age. So I immediately yelled, somebody call 911. He's out. I'm going to start CPR. Um, I'd been trained in CPR, I'd been a lifeguard and first time that I'd ever done it in real life so you're trying to remember all the stuff so you know get his head tilt back start doing CPR somebody else comes along and says you know do you want me to do the chest compressions I'm like yeah go ahead and so we worked on him for probably 10-15 minutes somebody called an ambulance um, worked on him until the ambulance came um, but they took him away but he was gone I remember in the middle of it feeling so desperate and so powerless because I realized if life had gone, if, if and I, my, I was hoping that he wasn't, but everything seemed to indicate that he was probably already gone before I even started CPR. In fact, when we, we went to the funeral and met with the family, um, and they, I mean, they thanked us for our involvement, but they said they were pretty sure it was almost an inconstant. He must have felt something happen, and so that's why he kind of let himself down to the ground. But he was probably gone within seconds after he went down to the ground. But I remember feeling, this is awful. I can't really breathe life back into him. 
I don't have the power of life and death in me. Mm. And as much as I would have liked to, well, this is hard. This has been like 10, 12 years um, at least now. But as much as I wanted to have him come back too, once he was dead, I had nothing to give him because I didn't have life. I mean, I have my own life, but I don't have the ability to impart life to someone else who is dead. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, um, it really drove home this whole, this whole idea that you can't give to somebody else what you don't have. And people may be wondering, so what does that have to do with grace? Um, you know, we're focusing on grace. We're focusing on authentic living and life and relationships and what it takes for that. So, how do we tie this in to grace? People often want to be both recipients of grace and give out grace. Yes, and yet if you haven't experienced the great grace giver haven't known what a wretch you were, haven't been grateful to receive that life yourself, and that forgiveness, and that love, and this amazing peace, then I have no idea how you would give it. You can pretend. Or you can try. You know, I, I remember years ago feeling like I should visit people in hospitals. But okay. I didn't really want to do it, right? Yeah. And I just thought, well, if I go, then eventually the feelings will catch up to the actions and I'll be a good person. And <laughs> Because I'm visiting people, yes. <laughs> right. But I just didn't work that way. I felt like there were many times in my life where I was doing appearances, right? Okay, yes. But it wasn't genuine. It didn't flow from the inside out. And um, that was when you were, would you would say, pre-grace? Absolutely. Okay. In performance-based religion, there were many things I knew that were good things right. that I needed to be doing. And that they should be the fruit of a religious life. Yes. And yet, um, they weren't genuine, right? Um, They were simply performing. I was simply performing some of these things for a long time. Now, at the time, I don't know that I would have seen it that way. Okay, yes. Until I was touched by the grace of God. And then God would give me this overwhelming desire in my heart to do certain things, to help certain people, to be there. Um, And it was very different. It was a a feeling, a, a desire... It, as if it had been placed in my heart by okay. someone else, right? And it actually does say in the scriptures that God prepared things for you to do a long time ago. Right, right? before the foundation of the world. I'm yeah. thinking that's Ephesians chapter 3 maybe. 
Um, check the show notes because <laughs> anytime we come up with a verse and we can't remember the reference, we're, we'll put it in the show notes for you. Yeah. So here's this amazing God, knows us intimately, right? Gives us this wonderful gift of grace and then places certain burdens on our heart so that we will have a desire to love and to go that direction. And certainly he's done that for me. And then when I step into that, life is satisfying like it never was before. Okay. And I just thought of another scripture that says, God has shed abroad his love in our hearts. So in other words, the love that we give out is something God places in us by means of his spirit through grace so that we can give what we have but we have to be the recipients first so now i'm going to go to a question some of the people listening watching might have which is okay how do i even know then if i have this grace maybe i've been trying to live a really good religious life i've been dedicated maybe even up to this point I've been thinking, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm in with God, but now what you're talking about, so what's, what's the question that people should be asking themselves, and, and how do we know if we've been recipients of a grace that is so life-changing, so life-altering, that then we're now, we're empowered to live in ways that are radically different that impact people. I'm actually going to go back a little. In performance-based religion, I believe that I was born good. Okay. That I was born as a child of God, right? I couldn't even sin till a certain age. And that um, I pretty much was righteous, you know? Okay. It just kind of came with the territory. And if I did something wrong, I could just repent and that went away. So I was basically pretty much clean. Okay. When I picked up the New Testament and began to read the Word of God, I saw a different picture. I saw Adam and Eve who had sinned in the garden and from that point on human life became diseased and broken and men had this, and women had this dispensation, right? Not to do good. In fact, we were born um, kind of not to do good, right? right? I mean, you and I have both had kids that are now grown. Oh, and, and, any, and if your kids are anything like mine, I did not have to teach them how to do anything bad. I did not have to teach them how to lie. A two-year-old can lie. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, and mine did. I might share that story at some point. Um, so, yeah, so that is like, the, if left to your own devices, that sin, that wrong, that bentness, twistedness, brokenness that we call, that's there naturally in kids even from a young age. And that's what you're saying, that's what you're seeing that's what I began to see as I began to read the New Testament, right? That I perhaps was a little more broken than I thought I was. Okay. That there were things that I did that probably weren't very nice. 
that I did do white lies and probably some blatant lies that that I got frustrated with people and that maybe I underhandedly did things that weren't nice to them. That mm -hmm. I, I'm not even sure I saw that before, right? Right. But but that kind of thing became um, obvious to me. So you're saying part of with the infusion of grace came kind of this opening of your eyes and a different perspective. That I needed grace, right? Mm -hmm. That something was wrong with me. <laughs> and that there must be this higher power that knows better than I do and knows how to fix my personal mess. Okay. So I think I mean that le I mean the next question that follows naturally for me is okay so if that is where everybody is by default if everybody is born like I said anybody who's had kids know they don't have to teach their kids to do anything bad that that I mean some parents probably do but even in the best families all the training you're doing is to help them do right yeah. and know what's right and do good and yet they're going to lie they're going to cheat they're, they're going to hit each other behind your back yeah yeah absolutely in fact um they're going to tell quick. stories that aren't true yeah right um yeah. in fact i had i had um a woman who's also out of a performance-based religion but she told me this she told me this story because we were talking about this idea that like you said within certain religious groups there's this idea that you really don't start sinning or at least you're not accountable for that until a certain age and so she was saying she remembers as a child getting close to that age mm -hmm. and starting to become concerned because she realized she was reaching kind of that age of accountability but still even with that concern remembers thinking well I've at least got one more year I can be mean to my brother without having to worry about it. Oh, dear. So, I mean, yeah. that just shows so much about how it's a part of, I mean, it's kind of funny now that a, that a seven-year-old would think that, but that's our natural. So if that's our natural, that's how, if that's how everybody is born with that, how do we transition out? Or maybe better yet, how do we escape out of that to go to where that's not our default position. Well, remember the story about how I went to the hospital because I knew I needed to do that. Yes. Yep. Certainly there are actions that you can do that make it look like the heart might be right. Right. But unless you get changed from the inside out, unless the heart is radically changed, um, you don't really care about doing those good things. I can say, at least for me personally, I might have wanted to do it, but it wasn't always fun. It wasn't natural to me. Um, but I can tell you, when I had a heart change, everything changed. And one of the things that changed was I actually had a desire to help, to love, to serve. Okay. Um, and it wasn't just something I did for appearances. It was something... And you thought you were doing pretty well. I mean, you, I mean, you were doing well. Even within the context of that religion and your life, 
things were going well, so to speak, even though you recognize. So would you be willing to share what happened? What changed? Um, how that happened? Well, my family life got completely upturned. And it caused me to rethink a lot of things. And then I was challenged to get into the New Testament and to read what it says. Okay. But you were already a religious person. You'd at least been exposed to the New Testament, right? I was religious. I had actually taught the New Testament at one point okay. in, this, in this performance based system. However, in legalistic systems, things are pretty scripted. And right. so when I taught the Bible, um, there were manuals and I needed to follow the manual. And so as I recall, I, I don't remember teaching my students to read great chapters of the scripture in context. Sure. But uh, there was a manual where there were verses kind of, I don't want to use the word cherry-picked, but, but a verse here and a verse there. To go with whatever the topic was probably that was being covered. Exactly. And so I don't know that I'd ever really opened the New Testament and read Oh, an entire chapter, right? A, an right. entire second chapter. Or I might have, but just kind of glanced over them. And it is literature. I mean, so in the New Testament, for example, a lot of what's there are letters. So, mm -hmm. so they have a beginning and they have an end and they have an audience and they have a whole context and they have a whole message. One of the things I read in the New Testament was that the law, this legalism, this legalistic system had come through Moses, okay, but yeah. the grace and truth came from Jesus Christ, as if there was a before and an after, as if something okay. changed when Jesus Christ came. Okay. And then I began to read this about an old law and a new law or at, literally you have the old testament right? right and the new testament as if there was some great break when jesus came yes and and hebrews hebrews talks about the old covenant and the new covenant yes okay all right so you start to yes. be exposed to this yes and it wasn't an idea i had ever seen before right i had always when I taught the Old Testament and read the Old Testament, I thought it was all about rules and regulations, which it kind of is, except those rules and regulations all point to Jesus. Oh, so many things in the Old Testament, like the sacrifice of the lamb and the temple, right, yes. just pointed to Jesus. But once Jesus came, and fulfilled all those prophecies and all those legalistic things that just pointed to him from the Old Testament, right. then why need to do them again? Right? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's kind of taken up in the scripture. They're saying, hey, don't go back to that old stuff. Don't go back to those laws and ordinances. And It's about life in Jesus now because he's the source. Amen. So, and so you're seeing this then for the first time. As I'm reading, right? Mm -hmm. 
the New Testament in context and then going back to the old sometimes. One of the things that really hit me was reading that the veil in the temple had been torn and it was torn from the top to the bottom. Yes. That veil in that old temple during Christ's time was probably six inches thick. It wasn't something a man could tear. Yeah, we're, we're talking, if you're watching us on video, something that was about this thick, the, the fabric. So not something you just kind of grab like a piece of paper and rip. No, so obviously God tore it, right? And that happens at the time of Jesus' death. It does. So that we now, the scriptures say, have direct access to the Father through Jesus, right? Right. So I'm reading all these concepts in the New Testament thinking, I'm not sure I need a prophet anymore. It actually said in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Yes. Yep. Right. Who points that out. Yeah. And now. Yeah. Now we've got Jesus. Now yes. Jesus is here. Okay. How does that change things? It says in Hebrews 1, 1, in past times, God spoke to us through the prophets. But, but in, in these, these last days, days, right, he's spoken, spoken to us through his son. son. So if Jesus came as God and spoke for himself, what more need do we have for further revelation? These were some of the things I started to think about. Right. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so where does this take you? I mean, so this is kind of a, this has to be like turning your world kind of, around. I mean, kind of like getting tumbled in the ocean when a wave gets a hold of you and you don't stay on top and all of a sudden the next thing you know you're rolling like along the bottom. Yeah. It had to be a little disconcerting. Disconcerting because I had always been taught that my performance-based religion lined up with the teachings of the Bible. But as I'm reading the Bible in context, it's not lining up. Okay. With my performance-based religion. In fact, I began to think, this is a different gospel. Well, what gospel? Yeah. <laughs> what gospel is this, right? Well, Paul actually says in Acts that when Jesus appeared to him, he gave him this task of teaching the good news of the gospel of grace. Oh, Okay, old old law, new law, now we have grace. So how yes. is that grace different? And what is it? Do you know, Joel, that even being in the New Testament a lot, <laughs> like every day when I'm figuring this out, it took me two years to wrap my head around the idea Wow. That I didn't have to offer works, and the works that I might offer that I might hope to be saved are nothing but filthy rags, with menstrual rags. Of yes. Oh, scriptures, yeah. Isaiah right? uses incredibly graphic language there. Yeah. But that I could still be saved and changed and receive this grace in a moment as a gift, a free gift whole new gospel to me began to even wonder wow if this is a different gospel being taught is this even the same god teaching it right 
things you gotta discover. Right. So I began to read the New Testament in the end of January 2006. And okay. the very first verse I read was counter my workspace religion. And then I got curious. So what was it? Do you remember what that verse was? John 1, 1. Okay. In the beginning was the Word. I think that's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Wait a minute. He wasn't God from the beginning. He earned his Godhood. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So wait a minute. <laughs> Is this the same gospel? So I got curious about the Bible. And I started reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it. Pretty soon I couldn't get it down. Wow. Cool. And for 10 months straight, I read the Bible. <laughs> so, Lynn, that is a fascinating story, and I'm guessing there's probably even more to your whole journey, transition into grace, but for this episode, we're pretty much out of time. So I would love to come back to this in our next episode, uh, maybe a little bit of review, pick it up where we left off and continue on. So if you're willing to do that, can yeah, we next yeah. time? No. <laughs> okay. So anyway, thanks so much again for joining us on this podcast. And please, let's hear from you. Um, we'd yes. love to hear about your journeys and your questions and your struggles. Um, and then maybe we'll address it on the air. Would love to hear from you. So thanks again for being a part of this. We wish you God's grace and that your lives will flourish. Yeah, great. Thanks, bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Lynn and I hope you'll join us next Saturday for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. You can find the show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com That's unveilinggracepodcast.com where you can experience a grace that heals.